0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LitSot Podcast, where books are lighthouses in the great sea of time. Today, I'm here once again with my friends Isabel and Aiden. Hey, guys! Hello! Hey! So, and uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, dystopias, and more specifically, one in particular called Fahrenheit 451. So, what happens in Fahrenheit 451 is that in this dystopia, it's... Um, uh, uh, houses are made uh, fireproof, so they have no need of firemen anymore. So what firemen do in this universe is they go around and they, uh, instead of water hoses, they have kerosene hoses and they, uh, they burn down houses that have books in them, um, because normally they wouldn't burn down. So, um, the story is about this one fireman, um, his name is Guy, and he, um... He he's he's kind of a bit dissatisfied with life. Uh, it seems like his wife kind of is too, even though she doesn't really realize it later on. More on that in a bit. Basically, um, he kind of comes home after after this whole fireman thingy burning up a house, and then his his wife is like like practically dead. It looks like she overdosed on sleeping pills, and so he takes her to the hospital, and they like fix her up, and then uh, she obviously has no memory of whatever happened. And, um, so that's, that's one of your first indications that something's really, really wrong with his life. Um, he kind of, he, he, uh, he meets this girl next door who, uh, seems different than everybody else he's met. Um, apparently she, she, uh, later gets killed in a car crash and he's sad about that. And then really the turning point is when he goes to burn down this house and one person doesn't get out of the house before they burn it down uh because of the books in it like in fact they end up lighting the match to burn down the whole library with them in it and so he's like shoot what's in these books that people are so um like crazy about so he brings one home and then uh calls in sick to work the next day and then um and then the um and then uh, the his boss basically comes and goes like dude you're not actually sick you took a book home but that's fine i get it everybody does it once kind of you know read it and throw it away um you know it's it's pretty stupid here's why i've read books too they're all a bunch of hogwash and then um so he gets a, a little bit too into it he um he finds this uh he finds this professor that he apparently he was the last professor of the last liberal arts university in the world um and so he's one of those uh, secret people that, like, hide away with their books and they, they talk about, like, oh, we'll we'll set up this thing where we'll, like, print new books and we'll, like, plant them in, like, people's houses and then they'll have to burn them down. And then, like, except there'll be books everywhere and then they can't burn every house down, so we'll win somehow. Um, and then the, uh, the professor's like, I'm scared about that, but that sounds like a great idea. And here's a little uh, thing you can put in your ear so we can communicate with each other. And then, so he goes home and goes to work, and then they end up uh, burning his house down because uh, they found out that he was doing this. And then he ends up uh, burning his boss and knocking his buddies out. And then he's kind of on the run um, from this giant mechanical dog that they send after him. And uh, he's able to uh, escape the city, um, and uh, then he uh, meets up with these hobos that uh, memorize books in their heads, and they they're kind of like the protectors of you know books in society, in case uh, they should ever have need to write them all down again. And that's where the book ends. So, what I miss?
1: <laughs> you miss the part when the city burns up. Um, the city is bombed, and Ooh, that's right. that makes that makes Montag. His his name is Guy Montag. Um, right. But they always refer to him in the book as Montag. That's true. Um, Montag is, and his friends who live on the outskirts of society are the only ones left.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, so he gets mm-hmm. out of the city just in time. Right.
2: You also kind of bring up the point of why it was important that he had that communication device. Their heavy importance was, is that after they burned down his house, and before he um, kills and his boss and knocks out all his colleagues, um, right. They got the device. His boss found the communication device and right. was going to use it to backtrace to find that professor guy. Right. And well, to save the professor guy, and because he was kind of mad and stuff, um, he killed his boss and destroyed the communication device
0: right that makes sense it wasn't just kind of random well you burn my house i'll burn you <laughs> well he
2: was actually the one who burned the house
0: that's true right yeah exactly i
2: mean it was weird he burned down the house and
0: a... they kind of forced it him was... to i kind of thought
2: kind of but
0: there was a level
2: where he was just like really emotional right true true
0: um,
1: Before we get into the nitty gritty of fire and its role in the book, we should probably examine dystopias, like we promised.
0: Brian, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Um,
1: so, what is dystopia?
0: <laughs> what bring it are on. Dystopia. So, uh, basically, uh, what it, what dystopia does is it takes it takes problems that it sees in society today. That you might think of as kind of small or petty problems, and it kind of it kind of takes them and it and it takes them to their logical conclusion. It, it takes it, them it, it to takes like them...
1: the furthest possible extreme, right?
0: Exactly, right. Yeah. It takes them yeah. into the future worst case scenario. This is this is how society will end up if we keep and and it's it's great because it can kind of show you kind of the dark side of some philosophies or some. Some ideas, some practices uh, that that right. happen in the day that the book was written, but the trouble with dystopias is they they never really give you very many tools to combat such a thing or very many arguments to do so because you can't really you, you if you do that you sort of end up going into the like you know uh, the uh, get off you start getting get off my lawn syndrome right so it's like um, you. you when, when a book takes something and, and blows it out of proportion, you can't say, well, this is bad because this book, which blew it out of proportion, says it is, right?
2: Yeah, I, I would agree partially. I do think that um, Rand's um, Atlas Shrugged could almost be seen as a book that might blow it up a, the problem of socialism up a bit, and especially if you are a socialist, you'll think that she's completely flawed. Right. But to a lot of people who are more capitalist-minded, Rand's book is, actually does show you, at least to some right. extent, Sorry. a way to combat it. But then again, let me Rand's clarify. book, I would consider maybe more of an exception.
0: Right, right. Yeah, let me clarify that. It's What I'm trying to say is that it gives you a... a Some great warnings, right? It's it's great at pointing out the problems with things that you might not know that were actually problems before. Right? It's it's kind of a wake-up call sort of sort of a thing. The trouble is 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 it it gives you like this big warning and then and then it's like, well, what do we do about it? Right? I mean we we can't we can't go around to people and saying this this is bad because in a hundred Majillion years. We're all we're all gonna burn all our books and that's that's gonna be bad
1: I'm not exactly completely sure though if in this particular book there was no Corrective advice if there was no kind of here's what we should do to fix this problem I think there kind of was a little bit of that actually Yeah, now that
0: you mentioned it there was a little bit in the middle
1: well, no, right. in the very end as well.
2: Yeah, sure. the very end is where I would see it. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah. Would ag- I would agree with your overall point that it's lacking.
0: It's definitely right. the point uh-huh, uh-huh. that is lacking. Right. But yeah, you're right. I suppose it does in give the, some... Yeah. So...
1: In the genre, is it in general, you mean?
0: Yes, I mean in yes, the genre in general. Okay, exactly. okay.
2: It, yeah. it does it is the point that is seen as
0: problematic. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, all right. So let's let's dive into a little bit deeper into some of the some of the some of the cool things about this dystopia in particular. One thing I found uh, really interesting about this particular dystopia is I'm <laughs> my mother grew up in a household where they weren't allowed any sort of technology they didn't have a tv they didn't have a vcr that mm. d- it was it was really books or nothing whereas right. um growing up now technology is technology is everywhere right right there's, right. there's well, smartphones computers have... like even this podcast wouldn't be possible with all the technology that we have um and so i suppose the dialogue between um Uh, Guy Montag and the... Or or Montag. I I don't quite know how to pronounce it.
1: Montag. Uh,
0: Montag. Okay. The dialogue between him and the professor in the middle of the book kind of reminds me of conversations that I've had with my mother, right? Like, um... And I'll... Man, I wish... um, I wish I had the the book in front of me. Um, He says something to the effect of... Ah, man... Uh, yeah, shoot! I wish I had the quote. Some, somebody looked this up, but it's in the middle of the book where the professor starts talking to Guy about really the the problem with with um, uh, their dystopic the their dystopic society, and how they've got there. Oh, and, I
1: think I know I know where you mean.
0: Um, right, and one thing he says oh. that really stood out to me is. That it's not the technology in itself that is the problem, right? It's it's what what people have done with it, right? He, he's saying it's not it's not about books; it's about what's in the books. It's about the quality of information, and it's and that sort of quality of information could be totally portrayed on all of the forms of technology they have in this book, like their their screens and their. Uh, Uh, They're walls, I think they call them. Uh, Yeah, they're basically big TV walls. They're wall-to-wall
1: televisions. And, of course, the really rich people have four walls. (laughs) Four walls of television.
0: I thought that was cool. Sort of like a virtual reality sort of thing. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Even though it's kind of funny because the fourth wall would always be behind you no matter where you were.
2: (laughs) Well, true. But you have that, like, thing where you're perfect. Your your head turns, and you want it so that your peripheral vision is always completely full.
0: Right.
1: So I have what, the quote if you want it. I have the quote. Um,
0: yeah, well, go ahead and read it.
1: You're a hopeless romantic, said Faber. It would be funny if it were not serious. It's not books you need, it's some of the things that were once in books. The same things could be in the parlor families today. The same infinite detail and in awareness could be projected through radios and televisors, but are not. No, no, it's not the books that you're l- at all that you're looking for. Take it where you can find it. In old phonograph records, old motion pictures, and in old friends. Look for it in nature and look for it in yourself. Books were only one type of receptacle where we stored a lot of things we were afraid we might forget. There is nothing magical in them at all. The magic is only in what the books say. How they stitched the patches of the universe together into one garment for us. Of course, you couldn't know this. Of course, you still can't understand what I mean when I say this. You're only, you are intuitively right, and that's what counts. Should I go on?
0: No, that's great. That's perfect. That's exactly the, what I meant. Yeah. The professor is not a luddite. He's not saying we should get rid of all of our technology, and that's—that's that's what I—I I like about this. Is um, yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes in. When people make arguments like, "Okay, well, this is the problem with technology," they're like, "What? You think we should just throw it all away?" No, no. The point is that we should we should say more interesting stuff. So right, uh, it, it's... Uh, even the professor himself is experimenting with technology in his back room. Right, he's uh, right. He's, he's actually on the cutting edge, of creating this little yeah. uh, this little green pill that they use to talk to each other.
1: The problem is not with the technology, the problem is within society itself. Do you remember that one quote where it says, he said that society is trying to live on flowers instead of on good loam and 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 spring rain? Yes.
0: yes, yeah, they're, trying exactly. to, that was a- they're
1: trying to they, they threw out all of the meat and just kept the the cream of the cream and you can't live off of only the, bare mi- the only the bare minimum, kind of like just without thinking, essentially. Without thinking, you can't.
2: Right. Um, I heard, um, I was watching a YouTube video of this critic um, discussing how movie quality has decreased. Yeah. And one of his um, points he made was that our movies are now based on all other classic movies. When you want to write a scene, you don't write a scene based on what would really happen in real life. You write mm-hmm. the scene based on what would happen in like a good classic movie, <laughs> and situations are no longer at all realistic because you're trying to paraphrase the words of a movie character, not paraphrase the words of a human.
0: Right. And this book was. W- do you guys know when this book was written? No, oh, but it is relatively old. Yeah. So yeah, it was 80s. written in the fifties. Gotcha. 50s? Oh, that's that's before the internet. But you can you can see kind of what he's talking about, where where people will people just keep distilling information more and more and more. What right. into 140 characters and five second looping videos, right? Like like from Twitter and Vine, right? It just gets <laughs> right. shorter and, and shorter and less and less substantial.
1: And the biggest the counter the counterpoint to Montag's growing self-awareness growing awareness of the world's problems was his wife who she was always listening to these quote seashell radios which were basically kind of like if you have your earbuds in all the time and she was always listening to music she was always watching television or the family parlor as they called it um and she she literally would read his lips rather than talk to him you know, right. rather than actually take them out to listen to him. And she basically did nothing, ever. Um, he even right. says at the end of the book that I can't... When I, when I remember her, when I remember her hands, she was never doing anything with them. I remember them just sitting, clasped, or s- holding a cigarette, but she never did anything. And right. basically, he said, w- w- what did the others give each other? Nothingness. I mean, what did... What did you give the city, Montag? Ashes. What did the others give to each other? Nothingness. So that's... Like the central problem is that... Not only are these people... Not thinking. They're, act- they're preventing each other. They're tearing each other down from thinking. And the majority is basically... You know, now it's, it's a crime to think...
2: Right, right, and I think that that is an important distinction. It's not that they have he has a problem with like television. He has a problem with like not intelligent television. Um, he wants people to be critical in what they are taking in. So, and well, of course, books that stood the test of time obviously have that critical level. Where right. well, yeah, a TV show that been around for like 10 years doesn't need to
1: right and remember what he says that a book is just one receptacle of the things that we were afraid we might forget so there's there's just this books as memory and memory in general loss of memory amnesia is such a big problem in this book, and I mean, even in the the very first. You already mentioned this, Gabe, that Clarice... and uh, not Clarice, um, Mildred, his wife. Yeah. When she, she takes all these sleeping pills and almost kills herself. We assume, although we don't right. quite know, that she did it deliberately. Right. It's no. It, it, no. It,
2: he. No. It, he explains how it happened. He explained that it happened that she took two pills and then forgot that she took those two pills. And took two ah, more yeah, and then you're up right. And took two more. You're even right. It, it, it wasn't a suicide attempt, although it first appears to be a suicide right. attempt. It wasn't, right, well, and, it was and, just carelessness.
1: And that's even more significant that that's there's forgetfulness again. And then she forgot that. She, she forgot that this even happened to her and she forgot where she met Montag. Neither of them can remember forget. where they met.
2: They forget. So they don't even like, like, remember where they meet.
1: Where they meet. Neither they they forget at everything. The at the end. And that is significant.
2: Mm-hmm. Because yeah.
1: that's the start. That's the Phoenix Rising right there.
0: Right. Because yeah, and... and... And mm-hmm. all of that sort of ties back into what I was talking about dystopias in general is that, um, and, and kind of what makes a good dystopia, because, because if you look at, um, uh, uh the, the, what, what's the, what's the name of the fire boss, uh, Bailey? No, Beatty. Beatty. Um, he, uh, in his history lesson, he, he talks about how really people did this of their own accord. They, yeah. They just, they forgot and they chose to forget, right? And that, it happened yeah. gradually over time. People took two pills, and then forgot they had taken two pills.
2: Right. Right.
1: Lulling themselves. Um, yep.
0: Um, so,
2: I just, I was going to point, there are two things that I think I've seen across a large number. I've read, like, four different dystopias that I would consider quite good. Um, and in most of them, you have these two things. First of all, uh, corruption of the... A quote-unquote corruption, whether or not you believe it is a corruption or not, um, the author definitely feels that there is a corruption of the family. And then also, you have this weird situation where a character, often like Beatty, who really, why does he happen to know the entire history of what happened and able to explain it so perfectly well? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, but he does. He seems to know exactly what's going on and be able to give you this great explanation and tell you why it's completely all right that this situation has happened.
0: Mm-hmm. So sort of like a plot device.
2: Right. Um, and BD is this great character um, where he explains the entire situation of like how we got here and how books... um as he puts it, like aren't very useful. They tell you useless information.
1: They um, contradict each other.
2: Right, they contradict each other. I'm having a hard time remembering what exactly his points were compared to the points of the equivalent character in Brave New World who says very similar things. Um, so, right.
0: Brave New World is the next one we're going to be talking about next week if you guys want to follow along. Yeah.
2: But there's this level where having that character explain why, well, why society could ever come to this point,
0: right? It's and the best dystopias make it believable, important.
2: right? The best dystopias have to make it believable, or else they would not be
0: considered the best. Right. right. Exactly. So, what? what sorry, we kind of cut you off, Isabel. What were you? Uh, what were you saying?
1: Oh, I was gonna go the Phoenix route, but we could e- just as easily go the BeaD route and examine BeaD as a character. What are you guys feeling like doing?
0: Yeah, let's talk about Bea he's he's an interesting okay. character.
1: so Beatty is omniscient, evil and has a doomsday hound. Who is he?
0: <laughs> the devil. Man.
1: Woohoo! Yeah. Hades, and maybe Mephistophel. What do you guys think about, um, Beattie and, um, Montag as kind of a Faustian bargain?
0: Okay, who's who's Mephistophel?
1: Mephistophel um, is the, the demon in Faust.
0: From oh, oh, gotcha. Mep- Mephistophanes.
1: Yeah, sorry, Flavage Italian the... Reign.
0: Gotcha, sorry.
1: Um...
0: Right. Um. Explain what you mean by a Faustian bargain. I don't know if all of our audiences read Faust. So,
1: Faust um, made a deal with the devil that he would serve the devil for seven... uh, The the devil would serve him on Earth for either seven years, or there's variations of the story, but sometimes the, the devil gives him... Seven silver bullets that will never miss their mark. or yeah. um, But the, the devil serves him and prospers him on Earth for a set period of time after right. which Faust belongs to the devil. So he's selling his soul for, six, for earthly security, earthly success. Mm-hmm. Right. But in yep. the story, he always breaks free somehow, either by repenting, outwitting the devil. He somehow Gets himself out of it after a while when he realizes that it's empty, and he has. There's always a showdown between him and the devil. So when yeah, I that just was noticed, an
0: opera, right?
1: It was original. I the I know as far as I know, it was originally written by Goethe, who was a German, the most famous German poet. It was also three or four different operas. Um,
2: okay, isn't there like a play? I thought there's there was a play so... that, like, it's ridiculously too long and nobody ever produces and then there's, like, a part two.
1: Yeah, that was good Absolutely. Gute's.
2: Oh, okay, that's Gutes. I <laughs> yeah. Read that one. <laughs> I read an English translation of that one.
1: Okay. Um. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, so, because so, what...
2: Mm-hmm. Isn't, like, Faust, the storyline of Faust, he just makes, like, a classic demon bargain where you sell your soul to the devil and trade mm-hmm. for something. Right. But. And then he ends up breaking free because, of course, right. that's what the main character has to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is it wasn't there, like, a level where he became... At least I thought Goose has, He, like, sold it for, like, becoming, like, really, really proficient, and he was, like, incredibly intelligent, which I would have thought would have not made this a very clear comparison because, like... Yeah! You're selling your soul for, like maybe momentary pleasure and happiness. But you're not selling your soul for, like, success. You're not selling your soul for knowledge. You're not selling your soul for any of those. You're maybe happiness, but it wasn't even clear if you're selling your soul for happiness. It was just kind of, you're selling your soul for the status quo. quo yeah, well, because the... just is always portrayed as intelligent enough not to make a deal that you get the status quo.
1: Right. However, just kind of in the most as a literary device, it's not quite that exact. It's not every, when 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 you're kind of comparing for a character archetype, it's just like a Christ figure like we were discussing discussing right. in the last episode. It's not necessarily that all the details line up and this is the same story. It's it's just kind of like this scenario is, is being played out in another way in another time and then you can view the characters in a deeper way in a sort of yes they're they're still Beatty and they're still montauk but they're also having this interplay of a very dark dangerous character who has this control that he's exerting and stifling the second character and if this first character doesn't get free of his influence somehow and 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 get away and and become his own person and 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 grow as a character if he can't do that that's kind of the conflict there and and it's kind of enlarging the conflict to demonic proportions so i would oh, just say I- that in the very first it the story starts out here i'll read the it was a pleasure to burn. It was a pleasure to see things eaten, to see things blackened and changed. With a brass nozzle in his fist, with this great python spitting its venice- venomous kerosene upon the world, the blood pounded in his head and his hands were the hands of some amazing conductor playing all the symphonies of blazing and burning to bring down the tatters and charcoals, charcoal ruins of history. And then, slightly further on, Montag grinned with the fierce grin of all men singed and driven back by the flame. Oh, phooey. Um, It never went away, that smile. It never, ever went away as long as he remembered. So you see, he's completely in the mind of this fireman. You know, he's completely in this completely just demonic sort of half rage, half half kind of hysterical kind of ecstasy. He's really enjoying this. He's just like, whoa, this, whoa, okay. That's <laughs> right. not good. That's not good. And Beattie kind of, he has that same sort of aura as just this completely, he has it very much together. He's very dangerous.
0: One thing yeah, I definitely. found interesting about Beady. Is he makes yes. this argument in um, uh, I, I forget when he makes this argument. I think it's while they're um, while they're riding the fire truck to uh, what Mont Montag doesn't know is his house, um, and he's he gives this sort of argument where he he says both sides of it. He's, he's yes. making this argument, mm-hmm. quoting all of these books that he he's apparently read. And, um, uh, you know, like the devil quoting scripture for his own purposes, but he's supplying both sides of the argument and and obviously winning because he's supplying both sides. So I think it'd be interesting to talk about his argument just just briefly and where where the flaws in it are and if there are any flaws in it. And and maybe maybe it's actually a good argument and what is what he's actually saying by what he says.
1: Okay, what page are we
0: Oh, I yeah, forget. Be... I should. I okay. wish I had it in front of me.
1: Because um, I really don't remember what his argument was.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, he was. And... He was trying to say that uh, books are stupid, right? Books will betray you. Um, yes, books
2: can be
1: twisted and taken in the way that you want to take them. Here, I've got it. Okay. Um. Hmm. <laughs> It takes up several pages. Um, but essentially, he he quotes... Yes. Stop blushing. I'm not needling. Really, I'm not. Do you know I had a dream an hour ago? I lay down for a catnap, and in this dream, you and I, Montag, got into a furious debate on books. You towered with rage, yelling quotes at me. I calmly parried with every thrust. Power, I said. And you, quoting Dr. Johnson, said... Knowledge is more than equivalent to force. And I said, Well, Mr. Johnson also said, dear boy, that he is no wise man that will quit a certainty for uncertainty. Stick with the fireman, Montag. All else is dreary chaos. And it goes on like that for quite a while. All the while, Faber, who is the professor that Gabe mentioned, um, coaching him over the radio in his ear, not to listen to him, and that he's trying to confuse Montag.
0: Right, right. One intre- that also reminds me of something else about this book, which is how stream of consciousness it gets at certain points. It's like I, there was one uh, segment in it, and, and man, I really should mark these down. But it was like it was like it's like boom, bang, burn. It was just like all these like. Uh, I feel like some of them were sound, some of them were colors. It was just, like, this very, like... Yeah. Very, like, this is just, um... Just like like with, uh, uh, when, um, uh, what's his name? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Bailey? I keep wanting Beatty. to tell him Bailey. Beatty. 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 Yeah. When Beatty, Beatty's droning on here, he's like, oh, well, you would say this, and then I would say this, and then you would say this, and then I would say this, and blah, 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 He's just trying mm-hmm. to overwhelm you. People. I think a, a similar thing happens when, uh, Ah, uh, Montag gets on the train, and uh, and there's yeah. like this commercial that's just getting like blown yeah. into his ears, and yeah. he's trying not to listen to it. He's trying to give you this, this idea of just being like blasted out of the water by by noise. <laughs> like if you've, uh, uh, yeah,
2: I don't know. It, it sort of reminds me overload. of being in a
0: sports bar, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's a clever literary style,
1: right? And well. did you notice how often the author there would be. Counting in the book. One, yes, that two, was a
2: very and that it really to happen right whenever there would be that like sensory overload. There was counting. Right,
1: there would be there would be counting. He was counting raindrops for a bit, um, and th- th- there was just again and again short sequences where he would be counting for for various reasons, and it just really drove home for me the theme of time and how time interacted with the book. And was right because he was basically saying that society is a phoenix, every civilization, every era kind of drags itself, builds itself a pyre, and dies, and something new is born from the <laughs> ashes, you know. Right, and it's the sun right. is burning time, and 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 um, uh, here I have the quote. He saw the moon low in the sky now. The moon was there, and the light of the moon caused by what? By the sun, of course. And what lights the sun? Its own fire. And the sun goes on, day after day, burning and burning. The sun and time. The sun and time and burning. Burning. The river bobbed him along gently. Burning. The sun and every clock on the earth. It all came together and became a single thing in his mind. And how... Um... So if he burnt things with a fireman and the sun burnt time, that meant everything burned. And one of them had to stop burning. And the sun wouldn't, certainly, so it looked like Montag and the people he had worked with had to stop. Right. And somewhere, the saving and burning of things had... To, and putting away of things had to begin again, and they have, th- so then they have to, you know, start keeping records and books again.
0: Yeah. Right. It's it's well, funny though. That's totally the pattern of, of civilization and the pattern that anyone that's tried to design a system of government has has tried to to break over the years, right? You know, uh, democracy well, led Greek democracy led into the Roman Republic and then the Roman Empire, which destroyed itself and then uh, it was burned, right? Rome burned, um, right? And then and then uh, it, there was uh, the the Dark Ages and then. I mean, I mean, look at look at America, right? I mean the 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 British Empire, like like we 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 lit the match on them, right? Well <laughs> after okay. America left, all, all, the, really. all the other places were like, okay, well, you know, we'll be independent too and it just though. kind of makes you wonder, like 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 when like how how long will something last before it burns? <laughs> That's what a lot of people are asking, like you know, is this the end of America?
2: Well, you could ask that. I don't think, though, so. that's a very realistic look through history.
0: You're really rushing things, and I, saying, of course, I'm rushing things. I'm just making the point that civilizations always rise and fall inevitably.
2: Well, well, yes, inevitably. If you look at civilizations, they, as long as they're no longer the current standing civilization, at some point they fell to some extent. To right. what extent did they fall? depends on which civilization we're talking about. Even England is still actually a nation. Right. When you look at England, it's still standing. If you look at Japan, it's still standing. Right. Those, the, the, those officially fell. Russia, well, I mean, the Soviet Union broke apart, but, I mean, if you look at Putin, it looks like it's coming back together.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is that in this book, war and po- politics is not the point. The point is intellectual, re- relational, wholeness, and you know, memory as collective memory. You know, people because there's so ma- There's dysfunctional relationships, and there's just amnesia in the book that is seen as the, the main problem is that everybody forgot all their ideas and started, you know, burying burying a, a huge part a, a huge part of themselves when they forgot all of their ideas. And right. he said that here's um um one of the very last thoughts of the book um, was when one of the hobos was talking to Montag when they are after the city's bombed and they are going towards the city to kind of pick up the pieces. Um, and then this this man named Granger says that the phoenix, there was a phoenix, um, and he burnt himself up and he sprang out of the ashes. He got and and um, every time he burnt himself up, he sprang out of the ashes. He got himself born all over again, and it looks like we're doing the same thing over and over but we've got one thing the phoenix never had We know the silly thing. We just did we know all the silly things We've done for a thousand years and as long as we know that and always have it around where we can see it Someday we'll stop making the same Funeral pyres and jumping into the middle of them. We pick up a few more people that remember every generation now, let's go upstream and hold on to one thought. You're not important, you're not anything. Someday, the load we're carrying, meaning all of the books that they've that they've memorized, may help someone but even if we even when we had the books on hand a long time ago, we didn't use what we got out of them. We just went mm. right on insulting the dead. So he's saying that the problem is we're not using the ideas we have, and that's what caused the whole mess. And the solution to the whole mess is for everybody to to, to start remembering again. And to right. lose their self-importance and just, you know, kind of carry on a little bit.
0: Yeah. Do, you, do right. you agree with them? Do you think that is the solution? Do you think that we'll ever stop jumping into the funeral pyre as society?
1: No.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh (laughs) No. Unfortunately, I don't. I think that there's a a major thing that he's missing, and that is that there's always going to be those people who aspire to be Alexanders, like Alexander the Great. Yeah, human nature. uh, Who who will try to, well, conquer the world, and, well, as long as we have somebody trying to conquer it, they won't (laughs) care if it burns after them.
1: I mean, this author... seriously reveals his naivety when, like, a few sentences after what I just read, he he advocates building a big steam shovel in history and burying war in a grave. I mean, that's not going to happen. I mean, and that's, I think, where the the author kind of gets idealistic, and that's not right. not gonna happen, but
0: I think There's... he gives a bit of a real more realistic answer though because I mean you rea- you're realizing that the people that are saying this are hobos on a on a train track.
2: Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so they also happen to have been professors like they're all like, former professors of reasonably place reasonable places. Right. It's not like these are nobody. These are the intellectuals who are now hobos. Right. right.
1: Right. Well, I mean, and here's another thing. Consider the answer he's giving to us in Montag's life, in the story that he just told about Montag. I mean, what exactly happened to Montag? He started out like everybody else in the story. He started out in a bad place. And he meets this girl who is different, who knows something. He's not sure what, but... She has a normal, a normal family. They talk to each other. Um, they they do right, things it's just, just for the all sp- normal. Well, it's not normal for the time, but it's normal right. as far as a functional human being that right. we would oh, probably right. meet on the street today. I mean, the right. family had the, the she, she does things just for the sake of doing them. She picks flowers. She shakes the chestnut tree. She runs about knitting blue sweaters. That kind of thing you know Crazy she just enjoys she she notices things she notices nature she wonders about things she thinks he tells her you think too much so he's but he starts to kind of listen to what this girl says and he gets more and more kind of prodded and then she disappears and he wants to know why he's asking a question he's thinking now he's thinking like why where did she go he didn't forget right. about her And then he starts reading the books, he starts going on this journey, and a week later, I think it's very significant that his journey takes exactly a week, he's on the run with this professor, he he examines both sides of the story, you know, in one ear he's got Fader, the the professor, in the other ear he's got BD, this demon, he burns the demon, he burns... (laughs) You know, he he using the same fire and then he goes and he he jumps in this river to get the scent off of him and he's he's wearing completely new clothes. He it's it's almost baptismal in a way. Right, yeah, he's in this river and he's, I mean, he's, he's being
2: cleansed. And he's then he's trying to take on the scent of that professor. Right. I mean right.
0: keep that in mind, it's very extreme. <laughs> Yeah, putting putting on new clothes that wow, smell right, different. Right.
1: He's and um so then he he comes out of the out of the river finds the train tracks and then everything erupts behind him. The city goes up in smoke. You know, it gets bombed in the war that we kind of it's in the background. We know there's a war on, but we we never really figure out what's it, what it's about or it's not particularly important. But then after that he, he, you know, he, he, he's, he's read he, at that instant when the bomb when the city goes up in smoke, he remembers not only where he, he met his wife in Chicago, but he also starts remembering the books that he's read. Ecclesi- what was it Ecclesiastes and Revelation.
0: Yeah. He starts, yeah.
1: He, he can remember it perfectly now. So he was cleansed in the river and then he was now his memories functioning again. So he's just risen from the ashes. And guess what Montag means? It's the German word for Monday. The first day of a (laughs) new cycle. The first day again. It starts again. He gets a second chance.
0: Wow. So I suppose uh, looking at it from uh, that sort of a a Christian narrative kind of an idea. Um, Well then maybe to some extent. uh, Right. Of course you can't. You can't. You can't make perfect illusions, But um the at some point you can start to agree with the um that other professor on the railroad track, right? That um on on a couple points, one that right? Uh it's important to remember things, right? And um and and that and that uh, no matter how much like like no, even even though the city's destroyed there, there will still be these people that remember these things, and yeah. you know, someday they'll, they'll, they'll write them down again, and they'll, they'll keep going, right? Mm-hmm. And right. um, the fact that another thing he brings up is that, like, you know, you, you're not important. Something that you do might help somebody, but it's, it's, it's not about just you, right? This is, this is bigger picture stuff. Um, and then, and then that someday. Eventually, we will stop forgetting all this stuff. We'll stop, um, you know. The, the The world will be changed in fire, and um, it, it'll burn one last time, and then, right. um, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's it's kind of cool.
1: Like my whole point for kind of introducing Montag as the phoenix kind of kind of a thing is that maybe what the author might be saying is that we can do something to avoid this kind of doomsday in our own lives on right. a person-to-person person- person level.
0: Right. And that
1: maybe the problem is not society. The problem is each one person ending up being a Mildred. Mildred it was Montag's um, wife.
0: Right. D- yeah, totally. Does right. Mildred mean anything? Like, I beg your like- pardon? As far as I know, anything? it's a normal
1: it's a normal name, Mildred. Okay. But I do know that Fader, who was the professor, I looked up his name. Fader just meant um like an a overmaster. So maybe like a Rembrandt level master of huh. something.
0: Interesting.
2: Um yeah. Yeah. So, um, do we have any other points?
0: Um, let's let's look at the email. I think we I think we may have uh, pretty much covered everything.
2: Oh, I had um one other thing. Um, not that I think we'll be able to discuss it much this week because it's probably better discussed with connection to other um dystopias. But like I Brave feel I, yeah, like Brave New World which we're reading for next week. Um, But I feel as if dystopias, well, I've read like four good dystopias. This, Fahrenheit 451, 1984, Atlas Trugs, and I just read Brave New World um, this last week. But I feel as if all of them share this aspect of a level of corruption in the family. That like the family unit is... Flawed. Right. You have that. You have the family parlor where all those characters on the TV aren't just like television hosts and television and characters. They're like parts of the family, which is almost problematic.
0: Right. Yeah, you're right. Yes, with families. Families are really the building block of society, and I think what a lot of Dystopia writers recognize that when you start to mess with that, everything else falls apart around it. And that's also scary because of what's happening today. (laughs) I mean. Right.
2: I mean. Whether or not you believe that the redefinition of marriage is a good thing, I personally actually think there's a lot of argument that it, at least from a legal sense, should be redefined to include any two people.
0: Not yeah, you know, we've, we've talked about this, right. we, me uh, you and Nathan, before. We've had right. this discussion.
2: <laughs> uh, right, that's why I, I state my opinion, but I don't actually want to get into a debate on it. I feel that it's definitely something that, well, if we're redefining marriage, we're redefining the family, and that is definitely a danger.
0: Right, whether or right. not exactly.
2: What we've done is right or wrong, it's definitely at least dangerous from looking at dystopian novels and how they um, very well, true very, very true family
0: yeah i think i think we'll touch on family like you said more on uh when we talk about brave new world so uh look for that next week everybody uh if you guys are good i think i will close out the podcast cool. all right so thank you thank you everyone for listening um uh, we we had a we had a great time telling you about Fahrenheit four fifty-one. tune back in next week where we will be talking about Brave New World, another dystopia. So um feel free to send us an email at litsot.mail at gmail.com. Uh our website www.litsot.ml uh, is currently uh, undergoing some technical difficulties. We're working through that right now. or trying to figure out how we can uh, best get that to work. Um, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, keep checking it. If, if it doesn't work uh, today, check it tomorrow. So um, uh, thank you so much for listening, and see you later.